0: Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. And we are building a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community Part of doing that is every single week we bring some of the best product managers in the business uh, to share their insights with all of you here on LinkedIn Live, and also anybody who's listening at home on the podcast, uh, the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast, which is available on every podcasting app. This isn't possible without Sumea Benganam who has just put in... Time and time and time week after week chatting with our guests stoking some controversy when possible and sharing her brilliant expertise. Sumaya, thanks for joining us yet again here today. It's good to see you again.
1: You too. Good to be back. Sorry, the unmute button is presenting some challenges for me this week.
0: That's okay. I was going <laughs> to digitally slice a different time from what you said of like hi, it's good to be here and put that in there if the silence went on for too much longer. Magic of editing. No, it's going to take us a while to find the mute button here on LinkedIn. I messed that up last time the entire show, but we're going to be good. So Sumea, thank you for joining us. And I'm going to turn to you, Sumea, put you on the spot here. I've seen in small places, but several people didn't understand what I was talking about. So product managers know about discovery. I've heard of a focus, not just on like where it can meet the business problems, but customer discovery, understanding who your customer is, what their problems are. Tell me a little bit about how common that term is or how you personally normally refer to this process of just getting an understanding and embedding yourself with customers and understanding where there's opportunity there. So tell us a little bit about how you normally refer to it and then why is this an important topic?
1: Yes. Personally, I just talk about discovery as the the term itself and it can mean whatever it needs to mean in that situation or in the prioritization of what we need to focus on and discover more around in the situation that we're in as a team. And so, yeah, I've always use the term discovery. Some days it's a discovery of customer. Fundamentally, it all comes down to something at the intersection of the customer, the business, and then technology, especially if you have a technology product you're building. And so is it leaning more towards customer one day and more towards the business aspect or more towards the technology? It depends. But, you know, the mindset at the end of the day is the search for answers or following the crumbs of either a hypothesis or a you know, piece of feedback or observation and trying to find out more data, more information that can support you in finding a way forward.
0: Thank you, Sumea. And then Jennifer, we've seen you as a guest and commenter on our show before. I'm so grateful that you are here live sharing your insights with everybody. First, tell us a little bit about your journey and product. And then just a very simple question. How often are you interacting with customers trying to understand where there's opportunities for improvement?
2: Okay. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm a big fan of the podcast. So I'm thrilled to be here. And my journey in product started about five and a half years ago. I work as a product manager for Pearson for their higher ed courseware division. And I try to make a point of interacting with customers every day, at least every week. You know, it's the heart of my role and my job and the way that we define product management. And it's also something, you know, that grounds me and brings me back to my why, you know, like why I'm doing what I'm doing and enjoy the art and science, you know, like of the practice. I feel like it's a, the intermingling of both.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. And then Chris, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about your journey and product and then tell us two things. One is how often do you interact with customers? And two, what does that interaction look like? What is the most predominant form by which you are engaging with customers to better understand opportunities?
3: So funny, I was a graduate student at the University of Washington about 20 years ago. And so if you'd have told me that I would have been, you know, I was actually in biology. I became a biology professor for a while. And if you'd have told me I was going to be a product manager, I would have told you you were crazy. I was teaching biology 15 years ago at Butler. But for various reasons, I discovered I was pretty entrepreneurial. And I lead a product group in the same division that Jen works in at Pearson Higher Ed Courseware. And while I don't talk to customers as much as I used to, because I'm a manager of product managers now, I still try to talk to them at least weekly. And I think your second question was about, uh, remind me what the second question was?
0: What does that interaction look like? If it's weekly, are you interviewing them? Are you observing them? What kind of interactions are you forging?
3: That's fair. I think it's it's always good to have a variety. So, uh, you know, the most common thing that we do are one-on-one interviews where we're asking specific questions or showing some user experience where we'd like people to give us some feedback. But we also have multi-person focus groups. And then we do a lot of surveys and things like that where you can get more quantitative data. So I think a mix of those really deep discovery opportunities, like in a one-on-one or in a focus group, are the heart of what we do. But when you want to really Get a feeling for what's going on broadly, it's better to do some sort of broad survey type stuff. I mean, I tell my team the idea of discovery is finding out what to do next, what problem to solve next. You know, my mantra is you're not allowed to have opinions, you're allowed to find out what the opinion is of the people that matter. And that's what discovery work for me is all about.
0: Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you joining us. And uh, welcome back to the University of Washington remotely here. Jennifer, please dive in a little bit on how describing a little bit of the ways that you interact with customers.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the format depends on the goal, right? You know, the outcome of the customer discovery work. And so if I'm starting at the beginning of a project, you know, like doing customer discovery work, I try to do the empathy interview format, if you've heard of that, where they have just a high level conversation and usually like an hour long, I try to, you know, set aside that time, you know, with the customer so that I can dive deep into the context, right? You know, in which the customer is operating in and get to know, you know, our customer base of instructors, you know, their day-to-day lives and, you know, what their needs and wants are and what their root problems, you know, that we're trying to solve. If I'm further in, in the product development process, you know, it might be short conversations, you know, like, or surveys. As Chris mentioned, we also have focus group formats, but I've been trying to steer away from that format more to, you know, because I'm also always trying to move away from bias and, you know, like group think. And so I find surveys are better, you know, for those initial touch points throughout the product development process. And then I follow up, you know, with one-on-one conversations. And then we also just have, you know, we have the opportunity with conferences, right? You know, we travel to professional conferences around the country and, you know, can have conversations with instructors that way. And then one of my favorite ways of interacting with customers is also on campus. And that's exciting because you get to meet with a professor, you know, like in their environment, and that's a different kind of conversation than you might have, right, you know, at a conference or in a focus group.
0: Sumeya, I think this is your wheelhouse of understanding the needs and wants of your customers. Can you talk a little bit about what methods you use and when you think either of them or which of them are most appropriate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most important things to build on what Jennifer said for us PMs is to constantly be talking to customers. If we have not talked to a customer, you know, in a week, that's a red flag. (laughs) That something is probably, something is in need of attention. Putting that aside, discovery in itself is something that's, continuous that we do through different methods that are available to us. In the early days of a product, when you don't actually have much data, maybe a lot of what you're doing is based on observations and discussions and identifying behaviors that can tell you something. But then over time, you start getting a lot of data from your customers just through their interactions and behavior with your technology that tells you something else. Or you know something additive, but there are multiple avenues of discovery that are available to us. Some are through personal interactions, some are just by looking at you know large data sets, and some are actually sometimes indirect. So talking to the salespeople on your team and making sure that your salespeople are not just involved in discussions with the customer as part of the sales motion, but In other discussions, larger ones, things around, you know, day-to-day work or outcomes that your customer cares about that might not seem completely related to what your teams are working on. So there are multiple pieces here. I myself talk a lot to our customer success teams, talk to, you know, our salespeople. I talk to our customers constantly constantly. And then at the end of the day, just, you know, beyond these people, like I said, I can sit down with a, in front of, you know, a report that has a lot of data around, you know, some key metrics I look at. And that also tells me some things about the customer.
0: All right. So each of our panelists have given us a little bit of insight into the different ways that you can interact with customers and learn from them and when they might be most effective or appropriate. Now I want to hear from each of you about best practices for interviewing customers that could be anywhere from when you interview them who you interview how you pre-qualify them or how you conduct the interview i want to kind of get everybody rapid fire so if you could maybe share one recommendation and expand just a little bit on that recommendation then we'll come back to you we'll get as many as uh, we'll go around enough times to get out quite a few recommendations so one recommendation for customer interviews and either justification or explanation of that recommendation. I'll start with you Jennifer and then we'll go to Chris and then back to Samea.
2: Okay. One of my recommendations for customer interviews and, you know, by that I mean the more extensive ones, right? You know, like the longer conversations, I appreciate if it's by Zoom, you know, to record the session. You know, and I always, you know, ask for permission from the person that I'm interviewing, whether that be a student or an instructor. And the reason why that's really powerful is that I can then share, you know, like the recording with my team, you know, because part of the purpose, right, the outcome of this customer research is to like socialize and synthesize, you know, your findings and there's nothing better than a timestamp, you know, like to, you know, like an engineer or a product designer, ideally they'd be with you, you know, like in this session, which, you know, like I, I make available, but if that's not possible, then you can share, you know, the timestamp with your synthesis of the research. And then I would say you only gave me one, but I'm going to also fold in two others as I, I try to schedule time before the session to prep. And, you know, get in the mindset, you know, of the interview, even if it's like 15 minutes and then follow up, you know, so that I can reflect on the findings. And I find if I don't do that, then I just go from meeting to meeting and all of that valuable discovery work is lost.
0: All right. Valuable hints or tips. Chris, give us one or if you need a bonus one that's related, that's welcome as well. But we're going to come back to each of you because I know there's just so much with regards to interviewing and it's pretty challenging for new product
3: managers. Yeah, I, I love Jen's. I think one of the other benefits of of recording it is that you don't have to focus on taking notes while you're actually doing the interview. Your notes are recorded in some system that you can go back to later. Makes them for a much more organic conversation with somebody when you're not stopping to take notes all the time. But Jeff, my biggest my biggest recommendation is really check your confirmation bias because I think as people that are very excited about our products and what we're building, we want to be told that we're right we want to be told that we're on the right track. And I think it's really easy. It is human nature to say, don't you love this? But that's that's the wrong sort of thing to ask in an interview. It's just more fruitful to focus on customer problems and to understand their challenges and think about how to solve those challenges later, rather than giving them a solution to asking them whether they believe that's the right track. You're never going to find the next great thing by just asking them to accept your idea. So that's my biggest pet thing to focus on.
0: Sumea, I know it'll be hard to stick to just one, but we'll get back to you as well. So what's your takeaway or advice?
1: Sure. I'm going to start uh, a little earlier than the actual interviews in selecting your sample size. So again, depending on where you are in the, in the life cycle of the product or maturity of the product, take some time and understand what is this market you're going after or the customer personas you're going after. And then there is a fine line between selecting too many and too little. For example, if you're talking about an enterprise solution, selecting a sample of more than you know 10 or even 20 is probably an overkill most of the time. And you heard some of that hesitancy in my voice because whenever we, we try to come up with these hard and fast rules around sample size, it doesn't really work. It all depends on the type of market you're going after, the pricing, you know, there are a number of factors there. So just think a little bit about the sample size and talk to people around you who maybe have built similar products in similar industries, or do a little bit of research just to understand what would make up a sample size. Spending too much time in interviews is not worth it. Spending too little can lead you to building a solution
2: just for the two people you talk to.
0: Thank you, Sumaya. Jennifer, do
2: you have another one for us? Yeah, well, I think what I heard, you know, Chris talk about with the confirmation bias, I more want to speak to what he said first, which is, you know, like one of the things I think about in customer interviewing is bias all the time and how that plays comes into play. There's a great book that someone recommended to me, Rob Fitzpatrick, The Mom Test. How to talk to customers and learn if your business is a good idea when everyone is lying to you, and that's really the heart of his message: is that your customers want to please you. You know, they a lot of times you develop relationships with them, and so the more that you can combat that, the more successful you'll be. And one of the ways you you can do so is by really working on the art of questioning, right? You know, like writing good questions, and so. That would be like another one of my suggestions, you know, in the, I work as a, an instructional assistant for the University of Washington. We're doing a lot of UW plugs here, but University of Washington software product management program that I was also a participant in. And that was a big emphasis of that class. And. So I would spend, and we can, you know, share some of those templates, you know, with participants of this class. I don't know if you have a way, you know, to do so. But if you spend a lot of time thinking of these like high level questions that are open ended, not closed ended, you know, you'll get a better result, you know, with your customer interviews, and it can make it seem really effortless and i would say the other best practice that i encourage you know students to do in this program and i continue to do so is just listen to really good interviews sometimes it's good to get out of your space right the product management space and listen to other folks who have the art of the interview down you know like i love guy raz with how i built this you know i think he does a great job in interviewing and you can just tell he gets lost right in the conversation and that's especially for empathy interviews, you know that's when you know it's really going, going well.
0: All right. And speaking of getting lost, I would love to get lost and let the three of you just keep going and also build on each other. So chime in if you have any disagreements or want to emphasize a point made by one of your colleagues here. So just, it's time to jam, go around in best practices and tips for interviews until we kind of run out. And then we'll turn it over to Red to invite the audience to get their questions
3: answered. I'll go. I love what Sumaya said about the sample size. And I think the key metric I think about is being representative of the population as a whole. That sample size, I think you alluded to this, can be different depending upon the goal. But the goal in the end is being representative of the whole. If you can capture that population, the sample size is that's the sample size. And so the reason to do that is because you want to make sure that you are capturing all the opportunity space out there. And that's why you look to be representative. You don't want to neglect or be overemphasized one particular part of the market that you're looking at. So I love that comment. It just adds some color to it. And then the other thing that I would say in an interview is the most important thing is to be comfortable with some silence. I remember when I was a professor one day, my chair came in and interviewed me and watched me do a class, watched me give a lecture. And she said, Chris, you ask a lot of really great questions in class, but you don't give your students enough time to think about the answer and respond. You give them the answer. Again, that's confirmation bias in a lot of ways, but like give your interviewees a chance to really think about things. That uncomfortable silence is when the magic happens in their minds and they're going to give you something good. You got you to gotta be willing to embrace it.
1: I definitely agree with all the points raised so far. I would add one other tip bringing in other people from your team. So, you know, when we talk about our core team or the product team, there are engineers, there might be a designer, there might be a data analyst. Bring those people into the interviews. I know it's certain in certain cultures, engineers don't want to be bothered, but don't bring all of the engineers. Ask them to assign one person per interview. And so you're rotating engineers through and they're sitting, they're, understanding the customer's perspective the same kind of empathy is being built and they're hearing about these stories in real time so as you're asking generative questions that you know uncover problems not everyone is aware of you want as many people around the room listening to them and yes a lot of us record these conversations but by having this other these other people with you in the room it allows them to ask questions too in real time and get answers to them. And sometimes as a team, you can script your, you know, the points you want to go through and you can share some of that together and create more of a robust conversation where everyone is clear on the outcome you're trying to get to. You have shared with each other, the rules of the, you know, the road, what is a do and what is a don't in terms of, you know, don't ask questions with very definite answers, for example. And I know something that people worry about, especially if you're interviewing one, one single person, is it okay to bring in four people to interview one person? And the answer is probably, most likely, make sure just to ask that person if they're okay with it. But bringing three people, two people is definitely okay. And I think sometimes teams overthink that part.
2: Yeah, I'd love to respond to what Sumaya said, because that was a game changer for me, you know, like with customer interviews, when I think of my own cycle, right, you know, like of growing, you know, with that skill is to invite others in on the team, you know, in the process, and not be the one who is always like synthesizing and analyzing the customer data. And I think one of the reasons when I reflect on, you know, like why that's been really critical is the different points of view right? You know, because an engineer will have a different perspective, right? You know, like on the comments and um, then a product designer and, you know, like and the product manager, you know, we all have important points of view to represent. And the more that we give, get those like multiple viewpoints, we will come about with a better product. And so it takes a little bit more effort, right? And and there's some logistics involved. And that goes to another point that I'd love to hear, you know, the other panelists respond to is, I think one of the biggest threats to discovery work is time. And that goes with, you know, like organizing the customer interviews, right? Who you choose, really all aspects of it. So I'd love to hear how, you know, different ways where you can solve for that barrier, right? That threat to improving, you know, our product or customer discovery work.
1: Jennifer, are you specifically thinking about the logistics
2: and and all the,
1: the planning that goes with that or?
2: Yeah, I mean, right. It touches on so many. I mean, I feel like I've improved in some ways with the logistics, right? But a place where I still struggle and where I'm still learning is the, you know, like at this point, I have a lot of people, right? You know, go to people, you know, that I can... But I'm trying to work against that, right? Because I want to broaden, you know, like my base and talk to new voices and new people. And so that's something like I have thought about, you know, like just carving out that time in my calendar, you know, so that it happens, you know, this touches upon, you know, like, you know, how we can be more inclusive, right? You know, like in our product management process. And I think customer interviews is one of the places, opportunities, right, where we can do so.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's a challenge across the board. It has been, too, for me over time because we have to prioritize. And so we prioritize based on so many factors. And sometimes, you know, populations that are, you know, that are minority don't figure out in that prioritization because the matrix, the two factors, let's say in that two by two are a lot of time about revenue and size and all these things other criteria. But we want to continue discovery, even if it's a small amount of time. So let's say 80% of our time is focused on the biggest part, the biggest slice in that pie. But we still want to leave a little bit of time to, you know, continue that discovery with what we might consider right now to not be as high of a priority that can uncover Situations for us. I say this because I have been in more than one product discussion or company where we thought, you know, that we've reached saturation in a market. And then we would talk to this one persona or this one person representing a persona we considered not to be important. And that would or not as important, let's say, because again, it's a prioritization. And that uncovered for us opportunities we didn't think about. So, you know, I've learned over time to make that time is it every single week no but i proactively carve it out to just spend on personas that we don't necessarily prioritize for impact right away
3: i love that last bit i mean i think it's really one of the most important things we can do is just set aside time that cannot be that's non-negotiable right i mean like if that's what you're committed to finding some additional markets. Set aside some time on your calendar. That's what you're going to focus on and nothing else. Tell people no. I mean, like I've been very guilty of this over the years. If I do not set aside time on my calendar, an internal meeting invite will show up. That's just the way it is. But that's not the most valuable use of my time. And you know what? A lot of times those things are a little bit busy. They're a little bit busy work. And, you know, there's a project manager in there that wants to figure out where things stand. Like it's cliche, but could that be solved with an email is true. You're better off as a product manager spending a significant portion of your time talking to end users. You know, some of that might be doing research and finding what that other persona is. That's worthwhile stuff. But you know what's going to happen if you don't set aside time to do it? You're going to end up in a meeting that's discussing the backlog or something like that. You know, And that's important stuff, but it shouldn't come at the cost of dedicated customer time. Like, don't let that slip. Say no if that's what it comes to down to. I would say it for sure.
1: Chris, you remind me of an important point, you know, in talking about other teams or other, let's say, product managers. That's actually one of the areas I think a lot of us under value, which is other PMs are talking to other customers and they're writing notes and they're writing, you know, uh, they have research or synthesis from those conversations. And Taking the time sometimes to collaborate and learn from those customer notes, it can be very insightful. I say that because in a lot of large companies, we tend to almost work in silos. We just don't have time to do everything. But I'm saying it makes sense every now and then to reach across those silos and leverage our findings or our understanding, the time that people have already spent interviewing others get insights into those listen to those Zoom recordings.
3: We have a brain trust meeting which is my team that gets together and it's it's kind of your chance to just talk about what you've learned these days. You know, it's a it's an idea that came from Pixar because I love that book, but you know, you, you could even do that more broadly. I mean, Jennifer's in another group in our division and we do have meetings together and a lot of times I think that should be spent with what have I learned and what can I steal from Jen or what can I steal from the other product manager? You know, I often joke that I've never had a great idea of my own, but I've stolen a ton. The more conversations you have with people who are talking to those end users, the more you can find out. You just build your network, basically. You're building your network.
2: Yeah. And I would love to speak to what you just said, Chris, about the learning, because that's really like the goal, right? The generic goal of the discovery work. And it actually gets harder the more you're in your domain area, right? Your area of expertise, because you have to, again, work. I I know I keep on referring to this, that bias, right? That you know, you know, you're the expert, right? The one that knows this market. You know, that's something that I always try to remind myself when I go into these interviews is the growth mindset and just being fresh and to be surprised. And I always am, right? There's always something else that I don't know or that I'm learning or you know like another angle and yeah it is one of the the outcomes and so what a better way to do that than you know to work cross functionally and and that is something you know that I think we do well in our organization right in our division you know Chris and now with our new alignment you know it'll hap- happen all the more but it is again, carving out the time, right? And putting it on the agenda, you know, like, what did you learn this week? What was something that surprised you, you know, in a customer conversation? And then it shows that you're making it a priority. Like this is the number one objective, you know, like of our work. It's the heart, right? It's the foundation. And it's ironic that even though it is, it's the thing you have to fight, you know, the most to protect. And so, That's one of my takeaways is to, I mean, I I feel like I have, and maybe that's a nice segue to go into some of the logistics. I do feel like I have some ways to protect it, you know, like where I make sure that I have these conversations happen every week. And I'd love to hear, you know, like how you do that, Samaya, what do you, what, how have you set up your work calendar or, you know, like your work life to make sure, you know, that you do talk to customers every day or every week?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So a lot of what I do focuses on building that culture. So the entire team needs to to have that same mindset. If we don't mention the customer at least once a day, then there is something wrong going on. And so this constant need for us to have something helpful or new or productive to say about the customer also means that we need to be talking to them often. So there is a pull and a push kind of situation that's built into that. You know, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, process and creating process just for the sake of it but for my own self I have you know I I review my calendar at the end of each week and I look at what kind of how I have been spending my time I like to see that I have spent a good amount of it with the customer and if I don't I just think about what can I do differently next week that will allow me to have those conversations Yes, sometimes you know the things we plan or conversations we plan fall through, or you know just things happen. We have, for example, annual planning sometimes in the year, and you know it's all internal, and so we don't get to talk to the customer. but I like to take it week by week and look at what have I been able to achieve as it relates one to the outcome we care we care about as a team and two with my customers. What did I learn from them? What conversations had I had? And then the last thing is more internal about people on the team. What impact have I had with them? What loose ends do I have to make sure to close out next week? And I ask those questions of myself again every Friday, I go through my calendar, and then the, the following week, if you will, I take the findings from that retro uh, and hopefully improve and do better the following week.
2: I love that practice. I might steal that. (laughs) That's great to do it every week, you know, like a retrospective.
0: And speaking of talking to customers regularly, we don't have customers because we're here just to serve the community, putting knowledge out there to build a more inclusive and diverse product management community. But we do this for the people who are listening. And Red, you started this whole thing. This You were on the founding advisory board of the Product Management Center. You started these conversations and you started the podcast, which is now available on every major podcasting app. And now it's your turn to let the people speak and let us know what do they want to learn from our three distinguished panelists? So, Red, do your thing.
4: Can you hear me doing my thing? That's the more important thing.
0: It is very important, and I can. You sound wonderful. Oh,
4: thank you. The crew's back together, folks. And if you haven't been on the last a couple of weeks, either Sumea or myself could not be available at the same time. Truth is, we're actually the same person. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah. With, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: It's the Highlander. Like, it's there could be only one for those who remember the Highlander. No? Yes? Sorry, go ahead, Red.
4: You just dated yourself, Jeff. That's beautiful. So yes, Chris, Chris has given us a thumbs up. So here's how this works. I mean, obviously for those who are here and present and live, we have the opportunity to give you a stage time. This is where you can raise your hand. And I'm talking about your digital hand. So if you're actually raising your hand at home, that's cool too. But getting up on stage and asking the question you've been hoping to ask, and you're not asking it where there's people at your company, there's potential bias I mean, for the sake of uh, this whole conversation, let us be your customer and you be the one that needs the help with feedback. I mean, how fun is that? How meta can we get this, Jeff? So with that in mind, if you want to get in touch with me because you don't want to come on stage, add a comment. This is a live session right here on LinkedIn. You can go to our Slack group and Slack me. There's thousands of people in there that are on our show every week that just don't want to get on stage, but they want their question represented. So please do that there or find me on LinkedIn. Throw a stone my way, as Jeff and I used to joke. Pigeons welcome. So with that in mind, this is not about us. This is not about me. Let's open it up. And if we don't have questions, we can always stoke that controversy, oh yes, amongst the speakers. But let's not to let's not get there too quickly. Let's warm them up. So with that in mind, we do have our first guest. And again, for the stage, there's usually a split between some people who come up on stage to add a comment and get their feedback on alignment and others who come up with a peer question. I actually just got a message, that little ding in the background from Mark. Mark, thank you so much. The question is, how do we get to the Slack group if we aren't in a place where we can talk or type in a question? Well, this isn't one that's related to the topic. Mark, I will go ahead and give you a link to the Slack group. But if you were able to link in a message to me, ask right where you just asked it. Wade, what is the question? Please try unmuting and let's see if we can get your vocals on the air.
5: Great. Okay. Jeff, I remember Highlander, but I'm old. My question for the panel is, in a very practical sense, when, when you find a customer that you want to approach and you know, interview, what does that Look like. What does your approach look like? What did the principles kind of you adhere to when you initially approach them, and your overall strategy to get to a yes that they will engage with you and do an interview?
4: That's a great question. Who wants to take a chew at this first? I saw Sumea, You unmuted, please. Yes. Hi, Wade. It's so
1: good to hear your voice. Hey, good um, to see you. <laughs> you too. So, you know, I think being straightforward about what we're trying to understand and not giving them an idea or any promises around the solution. So, you know, a lot of the emails or communications we send to get people to, you know, engage in interviews with us start by saying, hey, we are doing research on this problem as a team. We want to find a solution for it. We think you might be someone who's, you know, who has been working in this area for a while, and we would love to get thirty minutes of your time. So, you know, that's if it's completely cold. Someone we met, let's say, through another person. But a lot of times, at least in corporate environments, there is, a, you know, a pipeline of people that either come to us through pre-sales or through marketing or through other channels. So I'm curious, Wade. The scenario you're trying to get to very practically, where would you meet these people? Is it through LinkedIn? Is it? I'm curious to hear how
5: it? other people done. It. But um, in e-commerce, I approached them through sales, and I kind of had my strategy, and try to minimize and overcome suspicion, you know, early on, yeah. to get to a yes. But yeah, the very practical way is reaching out through text message. I, I almost get like a ninety percent yes from that but i'm just i never get to hear other product managers kind of talk on overcoming that suspicion and when you when you identify that one in 100 customer you absolutely want to talk to because you know, like you were saying you want to find somebody yeah. just right what's that approach look like and have you ever had somebody like freak out <laughs> like what do you leave me alone you know?
1: <laughs> i love that jennifer i'll let you uh, take this one
2: Yeah, thank you, Sameya. So I think it depends on your market, right, and your customers. Um, And for the type of work that Chris and I are engaged with, it's primarily, you know, instructors, right, and students. And so the instructors are, thankfully, very generous with their time, and usually more than happy to talk to us. And so... The way I go about it with a cold call, you know, or a cold ask, you know, to answer your question is that I use channels like, you know, our sales enablement database, you know, like one CRM, right. You know, when, if a sales rep, you know, will ask a question, right. I will ask for an introduction to, you know, the instructor by email, and then I'll just take it from there and, and express my intentions, right. You know, like, just like Samaya said, what I'm trying to learn, right. You know, the purpose of the conversation and then express my gratitude, you know, for, you know, the opportunity, you know, for 30 minutes of their time, you know, like, and so that's one process, you know, that that i've learned you know to with especially with the covid years right the 3 years where we couldn't be on campus campus work is another you know place where we set up appointments and again the i think it's really important to express your intentions, right? And your goals, you know, for those conversations. And then with students, I try more and more to make sure, you know, that we're having conversations with our end users, right? The students who use our product. And I go through, you know, the instructors that I work with, you know, for those Opportunities, and I also try to have you know like a healthy number of conversations with people using competitive products or no products at all, right? You know, like that's um, another like customer segment that I I try to make sure you know that I'm exposing myself you know to you know in our world you know that's people who create their own resources you know, and so you know that's typically I think ignored a segment ignored by a lot of product managers, but. You know, like I see opportunities with some of the products I'm building right now, you know, to draw them in. So that would be like a miss, right? If I didn't make time for those conversations
4: with those particular customers. Rock on, Jennifer White. I appreciate the context and your response actually inspired the next question. So with that, I'm going to jump actually to the question and then to Chris and then back to you, Jennifer, to see if this aligns with what you just said. So with that in mind, the question is from Mark. Mark, again, thank you for reaching out to us via LinkedIn. Look how easy this is. You are awesome. I hope you have the best day ever. The question is, do you manually reach out to schedule customer conversations? So Wade, you could stay on stage and listen because this you said texting, right? Well, manually texting sounds like a lot of work. Or is there something maybe more automated that you've set up for yourself? And for this one, I've seen companies that have automated their customer outreach to set up you know, these boards for regular interviews. So with that in mind, Mark, let's hope that we get the answer you're looking for. Chris, the stage is yours.
3: Thanks, Red. We do have like recurring focus groups, like advisory boards that we we have for particular product lines that we often do. But most of the reaching out that I do is via email. And I think the biggest key I would say is making it clear that that you're in discovery. That's the thing that people are willing to share. In our case, for Jen and I, there's a clear, noble endeavor, right? We're trying to help people learn. Yes, we need to make money doing that. But like, if you can really couch the ask in a discovery way, people like to give you their opinion. And I think that's the key thing. When I reach out, I say, look, this isn't about trying to win your business. And that's why I often, I mean, I disagree with Jen on, on this one somewhat. I try to avoid Having the sales folks involved at all because it feels a little bit more. We're focused on product development at this point, and people want to give you their ideas. So most of mine is done over email. I do like the idea of more automated stuff. We could be better on our systems in that front of our company. <laughs> say that
4: you just had someone disagree with you on stage. How does that make you feel? I mean, that's I'm curious. Is there fire? Is there? Are we breaking out the gloves? Is this the moment we have controversy? <laughs>
2: No, I think this is a um, thank you. I know I, as a loyal follower of this podcast, I've listened to everyone. I know you're always looking for the controversy, but this is a place where I think it's nuances, right? You know, like what I do and and Chris, you won't be surprised by it this, since, you know, how I work is that I, I have the sales rep introduce me, right. You know, because it's usually a problem, you know, they have a question, you know, that they want me to answer, but I make really clear, you know, after I answer the question, right. That my intention in meeting with them is for the discovery work, right. You know, that there's no sales agenda. And I think that's just important to do in general, and then the I think you what was the other part of your question, Right, I was
4: like the idea
2: of Oh yes, yes, yes. So I'm not a big fan. So I never got a chance to say this in the introduction when Jeff was doing the rounds, right? I had a similar entryway to product management as Chris. Just I took a little longer to get there, but from academia, right? And then went into publishing ed tech and started Red, which you'll love is in this in this in sales. And marketing. And so I think that the reason why I don't like automation, and and I felt that way, even when I was in sales is that it took away like from, for me personally, the authenticity, right, of me being able to craft the message. And I think people get so many automated emails, you know, that I would fear that it would just be deleted. Um, And so that's why I like to go about it in my own way. Now that said, you know, time, didn't I mention that as the threat and the biggest blocker to our success with protecting this time. One of the partner now with, is it okay for me to say brands in this? I think it is, but with app cues, you know, like, and it's a survey resource that we can embed in our product so that we get some, you know, valuable insights from customers right after they use, you know, the resource. And so I think that's, different ways where we are starting to automate the experience. And again, that's like a different outcome, right? Because you're getting feedback on an existing product. And so in that case, automation is fine. But at the beginning of the process, right, you know, like with that discovery work, that I think it's really important to have live conversations. And I also think it's important to have those touch points throughout not just at the beginning, you know, like throughout the product development
4: process. Couldn't agree with you more. And yes, you are absolutely allowed to call out tools, books, recommendations, frameworks, anything that can help the community grow. At least they can automate in one way by taking advantage of someone else who's done the work for them, whether it's a program they built or a book they've written. And, uh, you know, obviously, disclaimer. I've worked with Pearson before in doing exactly what you described for their mobile apps. Our my last company, I worked with AppTentive, had prompted customers after they've taken actions and had dynamic surveys to get that feedback. We're actually a sponsor of this show, so thank you, AppTentive. But the whole point of this, though, and I think around automation, is the first three words or letters of automated, A U T, and authentic. A U T. They sound very similar, but they actually have very different outcomes. I just made this up, Jeff. I think you'd appreciate the punniness of it, but it's true. If you try to automate something, that authenticity starts to fade. So, Mark, I hope you found that our answers were manual and authentic, rather than automated and inauthentic.
0: Nicely um, done, Red. So. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here <laughs> all
4: I just want to point to one quick
1: thing because this is a privilege. That Jennifer, Chris, and I have, which is when you work with brands, uh, big brands that people recognize, especially in the space of the problems we work in, and having worked in startups, there's a huge difference in how people react to your emails or to your outreach. So I just want to put this thought out there. I recognize that we might have made it sound really easy and that time is the biggest challenge, And I definitely appreciate that. So for those of you out there sending emails on LinkedIn messages and no one is responding to you and people are freaking out and thinking you're trying to do something nefarious, keep going. And I definitely empathize. I've been there. And it's just, you keep going at it.
4: This feels like a Coca-Cola commercial. Here's to the little guy. (laughs) 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 I don't remember that commercial. (laughs) Hundreds of emails per day. No responses. (laughs) And a product
5: <laughs> change. Now uh, you're showing your you're showing your a trade now.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Real quick, Sameya, if I all may, just sorry, Red, I know you want to get to the last question. I don't know if we'll have time for that, but there is the persistence piece, but there is also the, you know, as a product manager, you gotta learn, right? So if you're sending all these messages and nobody's responding to you, it's just like your product, you gotta think about adapting the message and not just doing the, the same thing over and over again.
1: Yeah. And also going through people you already have. So sometimes, you know, someone who knows someone. So that's pretty much like what ended up working for me. And of course, I totally recognize that there is a bias, but using my own network and then having that network open up other networks for me was really how I've been able to do it in the past.
4: So for time's sake, and, you know, obviously, we want to make sure that we get to the nuggets of truth that end every show. I do want to call out, not for today, but a question you all inspired from a graduate student at UW, Alwyn, if you have the opportunity for future shows, I'd like to plant the seed today. And obviously, if anyone wants to reach out to Alwin, reach out to me if you're someone who's curious to answer it. This is not a question to be answered today, Jeff, so I'm just preceding that. It's really the idea of how do you deal with the different competing sources of interviews. So, for example, Jen mentioned there's the interviews for the end consumer as well as the user, the teacher, compared to the student. Or maybe it's a sales team who has feedback. There are so many sources of feedback, and at the end of the day, it's the idea of balancing it. I don't think it's appropriate for this show per se, but I think that might be fodder for future shows. And if anyone thinks that they would like to jump into it, I'm going to go ahead and drop things back over to Jeff. And you know what, Jeff? While you go, I'm going to keep reading the book called The Mom Test. Not because I want to figure out how to earn more love in my life, but because you all inspired me to do another round of thinking about how to interview without bias. So with that in mind, thank you, everybody. And again, all those who ask questions, you make the world go round. Back to you, Jeff.
0: All right. Thank you, Red. Thank you to our guests today. And uh, we'll be back talking about different sources of information during Discovery. We have a PM from Netflix joining us two weeks from today, live here on LinkedIn. That's December 13th, I believe. And then next week, we're talking about human-centered design and engineering and how to bring that in to drive success as a product manager. So keep joining us here on LinkedIn Live and join us or download these on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. Uh, We've got one minute for concluding thoughts. So be quick, be to the point, but definitely leave a takeaway or what you want the audience to run away, run away, walk away.
4: Is, wait, is this how you lead customer interviews? Like, hurry up and get get to the point, guys.
0: No, none of this, nothing that's not exactly to what I need right now, which is something to, to leave the audience with. Uh, Sumaya, take it away.
1: <laughs> All right, short and to the point, Teresa Torres' book, Continuous Discovery Habits, is a great one. It talks about a lot of the stuff we talked about and even more details from her work with a lot of great companies. So yeah, I'll leave it at that.
2: So Maggie, that was what I was going to say. I was going to give Teresa Torres a plug. That is a book. I'm just going to second it because I refer to that book I try to almost every day. It's that good. And I think maybe just say that reading and exposing yourself to other resources and ways of going about this work is important. There's great, you know, like blogs. I love Teresa Torres, her blog as well. You know, like on some of these topics. The Build Trap is another good one. That I appreciate. And so I guess the thought I'd leave with is that customer discovery work is much about your discovery as about then the customer, right? And how you can improve along the way.
3: I will triple down on Teresa Torres. It's sitting right in front of me. It seemed like the book for this uh, particular podcast. And I will will give you a strike, Jeff, for uh, breaking my rule of letting some uncomfortable silence happen because you didn't give us enough time to think about our closing thoughts. I guess the last thing I would say is as a product manager I think probably the best thing you can do and Jen you alluded to this at one point I use the term an expert beginner learn a little bit about everything because if you can make a connection with somebody I you know when I'm on a Zoom call I look what's in people's background and if I can make a connection with that person you know because there's a knickknack on the wall behind them or something and you know something about it that will open up a world of sort of empathy for them and if you can have those types of conversations then people will give you uh, the next best thing. And being an expert beginner, being able to just talk a little bit about everything is one of the best ways to do that. And you do that by learning every day.
0: All right. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Samea. and Red and Wade. Thanks for joining us on stage. And this is the first show where a third of the people on stage criticize my interview skills. <laughs> right, Red? Red got violent there. Or not violent. What's the right word?
4: I think passionate about your failure is (laughs) passionate
0: about the the failure. (laughs) I gave you, I was ready for silence, man. I was going to hold that until you answered it. You should. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, this was a fun time. (laughs) It's good to have you back, Red and Simea, Jennifer and Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And Wade, appreciate you being a long-time listener and then uh, joining us on stage. We'll be here on LinkedIn next week at 4 p.m. Pacific time with a discussion of how human-centered design and engineering can help you as a product manager. And then uh, for all you listening, we have the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator here at the University of Washington, empowering professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first product management role. If we want to see products get more inclusive and, and serve a broader audience, then we need our tech spaces and our, our work environments to be more inclusive and have a, a more diverse uh, set of people uh, rising to the today's challenges. So I hope you'll join us in volunteering for the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. And if you're an aspiring product manager from a historically marginalized community, please apply. If you're listening on the podcast, you've already missed the deadline, but we'll have another cohort in the fall. And if you're listening right now, <laughs> There's not that many of you at the moment uh, at the end here. But if you're listening right now, the applications open tomorrow, uh, November 30th, and you could find them by Googling the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. And you could also find volunteer opportunities by Googling the same thing. Head over to that website. So thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you next week here on How to Succeed in Product Management.